Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This is the second of two podcasts discussing the proposal from the UK government to develop a new research funding agency based on the US Advanced Research Project Agency or ARPA. With me to discuss that this week is Rachel Caldicott, technology strategist and director of Careful Industries. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Hi. You've written in the past about issues to do with governance in the way that the UK government funds technology and innovation. What are the governance issues surrounding plans for a UK ARPA? It is kind of hard to know where to start because in a way the big governance issue is should it happen? I would say like that's number one and then everything else falls out of that and I think sort of fundamentally one of the the things that makes it odd to be thinking about creating an ARPA in 2021 is that this is a project that in the states came out of World War II. It's a 50s approach to um, science and technology and innovating and it isn't really made of now. And so I think the first governance thing is who gets to decide on the approach and how to how to solve the problems of modernity and whether or not it's even appropriate to do that in ways that were championed 70 years ago is kind of number one. Well, let's take that issue. And you've thrown down the gauntlet and said, should it happen at all? Is this an old fashioned idea? So what's the answer to the question that you've posed? I wonder if the answer to that actually can be arrived at through poking a little bit at why the way that ARPA works is quite quaint. You know? And so ARPA is kind of predicated on the idea of the genius individuals, programme leads who are at the edge of the breakthrough and giving total um, support and autonomy to individuals who are established. And that approach only really works if there's a critical mass of those kinds of projects that are at a tipping point that are genuinely helpful. So it's in the Jahari window. This is totally in known unknowns right and it's putting lots of faith into that whereas I think we're at a moment where there are very very clear existential problems that are facing a society and that the idea that the way to solve those problems is to give the support to lone geniuses sort of doesn't really address that that may be how we've got into the place we are now. So I think what I would be much more interested in is innovation that was more about um, representative multidisciplinary teams. It would be more about lifting up. To give you an example of the kind of, I think, slight, slightly hopeless case, In the work I've done in the last 10 years, it it seems to me that general artificial intelligence is not that different to religion. You know, there are people who believe it's achievable and there are people who don't. 
but because it is something that is grounded in what appears to be logic and because it it comes out of maths it has become something that it is not laughable to the place bets on even though there's no evidence it's achievable and so I think what I would be much more interested in is a more holistic program of longer term problem solving where multidisciplinary teams are learning from what is actually happening in the world as opposed to taking things into the lab taking it into a kind of intellectual vacuum and solving it there and so kind of more realism more diversity and like just a proper grounding in how life works because actually the idea that for instance carbon extraction is likely to be the solution to climate change means that actually in the meantime all the important structural and behavioral changes aren't happening you know if we're um, investing in miracles well let me just explore a little bit of that with you one potential downside i guess is that if you take the problems as you say and you you look at ways of solving them you're going to be investing in potentially incremental innovation which is great and there's definitely a role for that but is there also a role somewhere for i guess what you'd call high risk high reward or or is that just is there no place for that so we are living in what are definitely interesting times in which we have seen i think both the benefits and drawbacks of of this and so if we think about the cultural research that led to the vaccines being developed incredibly quickly and we compare that to you know what has been called operation moonshot which is you know directly taking the language of arpa which has not worked and it's not worked in a kind of spectacular way on levels of failure and i think it what that shows you is that ambition is not enough you know that actually ambition needs to be rooted in hard work and practice as opposed to ego i think that what what there needs to be is a way of understanding achievability or what the lessons that can be learned from the failure are and there are certainly times when great leaps come out of mistakes completely but there are other times when the things just need to work and it feels to me that one of the things that has guided technology policy in the UK in the last year and a half is there's not really enough practical experience to understand when an ambition is achievable and when it's a kind of slightly crazy dream and that actually just stating a target again and again and again is not enough to make it achievable you know and and so I, I think it's really important to think about what the role of the moonshots really is because 
if you look at the history of ARPA, a lot of the time, what they were there to achieve was kind of a change in national spirit. Like the idea of the first moon um, landing was as much about the American geopolitical status and the sort of the beginnings of the Cold War and the idea that anything Russia could do, America could do better. It comes out of a sort of deeper um, narrative need rather than the potential to play. And I think all these things have a role, but the way that the proposals for ARPA, I think, seem to have been coming together have been really based on what happened in a different context, in a different time, and not responding really to what's happening now. Well, let's take today's context, today's year, and and the fact that it's the UK and the UK's culture. So we have UK Research and Innovation created after the 2017 Higher Education Act. We have uh, within that Innovate UK that's had a slightly longer history, but emerged out of the TSB. We have a number of industries that are quite strong. We have a strong research base. We have from time to time the criticism that the UK is still somehow not quite getting the economic value out of the high quality of science that we do in some way or other. And people debate exactly what the best thing to do is. But if all of those things exist, uh, along with some of the grand challenges you've talked about, what are the things that the government should be doing to improve innovation, to capture more wealth creation from industry in the UK over the coming years, if it's not something like ARPA? One of the, the things that UK R&D seems to kind of stick very rigidly to and kind of it have sort of weird ideas about is, is kind of how to allow business and academia and other interested parties to collaborate. I was chuckling today because there was a project announced where the satellite mapping is being used to help people spot um, loneliness. It absolutely makes no sense at all because what it's proposing is that if you walk past a um, person's house and the curtains are closed, then you can tag that house on a map and through the magic of the satellites, they will no longer be lonely. It's the kind of project that comes about because people have been moving around post-its and kind of thinking, okay, loneliness space. Ooh, how do those two things work? It's kind of the way that the funding proposals tend to work and the way that calls for collaboration work and the way that, for instance, kind of overheads are structured in universities all make it really hard for people to come together around good ideas. And there's a sort of very artificial hierarchy that I think potentially culturally it's a very British thing because, again, if you look back at the cultural beginnings of ARPA, really that was about entrepreneurs, scientists, people who were kind of mildly 
eccentric, the dropouts, rubbing up together and finding ways of doing things. I completely am a believer in the idea that constraints make us more creative, but there's something about how everything gets boxed and organized that I think makes kind of genuine collaborative invented things much more difficult and it's kind of why we end up with for instance there was a GovTech program about three years ago that was giving away tiny amounts of money to local authorities to use emerging technology to solve their hardest problems but you know they were getting 20,000 or 40,000 and actually could they not have had 20,000 or 40,000 um, to improve the thing they were doing? Did they need artificial intelligence to empty the bins? Probably not, right? I suppose the short version of it is, is almost, I think we're a bit scared of creativity and mm. that there's an idea that more innovative things come out of more complex structures but actually, there needs to be a bit of bravery about allowing um, things to cook slightly differently, I think. Where do you get some of these simpler structures? I mean, one of the potential advantages of something like ARPA is that you actually do away with some of the structural constraints of funders on the one hand and universities on the other and put a team of people together to work on, on something. Now, it may be that we don't, uh, know how to pick the right projects and it may as you say be a, an old-fashioned thing to do but you've just articulated the the modern problems we have of university funding structures and funders and so on how do we get people together to work on that does, does government specify projects it wants done do we picking winners I mean we're not great at picking winners either are we how do we how do we do this I think there's two things and on the one hand it feels to me that culturally Britain is really held back by its the way we think about status and the way that practitioners earn respect and so particularly you know I, I think something I've seen in the sort of 20 odd years I've been working on the internet is that for the first 15 of those everyone I work with was regarded as an eccentric and then when people started to become rich they had a very quick change of uh, status but there was a real reluctance for institutions and kind of traditional ways of, of um, working to become permeable and to try things out and so I think that's that's kind of one part of it what that leads to is very often the people who are invested in are the people who have the status, like the people who've achieved in the systems that we have now that aren't really working. And one of the things, if you talk to any venture capitalist, they very often don't invest in the project, they invest in the team. So I think one of the things that would be really interesting is if and, and the thing that we would be likely to create the largest change is if the people who have the money start to come from different backgrounds, have different specialisms, 
if we can be assessing ideas based on essential impact, for instance, and have a more multidisciplinary approach to how funding happens, then it feels like that's likely to create more looseness in the work that happens after that, you know, because at the moment to even have the confidence to apply for a lot of UKRI funding, the kinds of achievement and the kinds of status that need to be visible are only really available to a tiny number of researchers. So would this involve changing the way that UKRI funds things or are you envisaging that an element of money comes through a a different route through a public funding source directly from government departments or or what? Yeah, I mean the the, the thing that I'm I'm really interested in is rather than particularly looking at what the potential of technology is in very isolated academic contexts or maybe not rather than in addition to how can we start to understand the things that are kind of genuinely happening in communities and the things that people are doing that work on the the ground and scale those it's almost as if it feels to me if we only rely on top-down very heroic kind of interventions that we don't know how they are going to interact with or change the conditions of everyday life then we're really missing out I'm endlessly interested in the little changes and tweaks that people make to very mundane things to allow them to work for them in a better way and how can those things become scalable and invested in how can more improvisatory approaches be given more heft maybe that is just as risky risky in a different way to investing in what we've traditionally thought of as being the place that innovation comes from but really that's that's a very new way of thinking about it it's the idea that innovating comes out of labs has only been with us for like a hundred years which is hardly anything really it's certainly going to be interesting to see how this plays out and whether or not the government do take forward ARPA how do you think this might play out over the next year or so in terms of the discussions coming out of government one of the things that I've been really fascinated in is to what extent was ARPA or the the British ARPA proposals to what to what extent were they a project of Dominic Cummings to what extent might the impetus to do that fade away I think 2020 was the first time I really felt that there was engagement in modern technology in government for a long time it may not have been the kind of engagement I would have proposed but it was a massive step and change to normal and I suppose to what extent do very different ways of doing things kind of need individuals who are very passionate about them to push them through because I suppose the thing I worry about is that while I definitely cannot say I've been a big fan of a lot of Dominic Cummings initiatives it would be terrible if a big pot of money aimed at doing things differently just got 
and frittered away in a um, moribund series of UKRI calls for not really enough money for anyone to do anything interesting. I suppose what I'm saying is, I think for this to work, it needs a bit of vision and a bit of leadership. And the stuff that I would really like to see is how can we innovate differently around care, around domestic issues, those kinds of things. And I think that's very unlikely to happen. What would be great is vision. And the thing that I'm worried about is that it might just sort of not exactly go away, but just turn into a bit of a squib and a bit of a wasted opportunity. That would be a shame, although that wouldn't be the first time that that's happened. That's all we have time for, but uh, Aldercott, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Rachel Caldicott, Technology Strategist and Director of Careful Industries. UK ARPA was the topic of a Foundation for Science and Technology event held on the 27th of January 2021, and a recording of that event can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. The website is also the place to go for details of all our events, our blogs, and all previous editions of this podcast. Next week, I'll be in conversation with the incoming president of the Academy of Medical Sciences, Professor Dame Anne Johnson. Until then, goodbye.